Give God a hand clap of praise. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be exalted. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So thankful this morning for all that God has done. Thankful for every guest that is here. My name is Rodney Wilkinson. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor of this wonderful church. Thankful for you coming. You could have been worshiping anywhere this morning, but you decided to worship with us, and for that we say thank you. For those who want to grab your Bible, you can meet me in John chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 29. Amen. I believe it is this past week, um, Tiger Woods uh, won another Masters. He won another Masters. I bring him up this morning, not at all trying to give uh, credence to him as a role model for us. I think all of us today, we have a better role model than Tiger Woods. But I am bringing this up to talk about an amazing comeback. After his win, the interviewer came to him and said, comeback is going to be a word we're always going to think about here. So how would you describe that? And also the doubts. Since some of us saw you at, uh, on this course 11 years ago, some doubt if you could ever do this again. Here's Tiger's response. I had serious doubts after what transpired a couple years ago. I could barely walk, I couldn't sit, I couldn't lay down, I really couldn't do much of anything. I had a procedure on my back which gave me a chance at having a normal life, but then all of a sudden I realized I could actually swing the golf club again. Um, it was an amazing feat for him to come all the way back to win another Masters. But we have someone this morning that have come back for more. We have a greater inspirational story of a comeback than Tiger Woods. God bless him, but the comeback I'm talking about has never happened before or will never happen again. This was a comeback for the ages. 2,000 years later, they're still talking about this comeback that I'll talk about today. Nobody else was able to pull this off but this man from Galilee named Jesus. And when they thought the fight was over and Satan thought he won, three days later, my Jesus gets up from the grave with all power in his hand. What an amazing comeback we have in Jesus. And all over the known world, y'all, in every tongue, every kindred, every culture, every language, Today is magnifying the name of Jesus who has come back from death, the grave, and has defeated sin and death. What a powerful Lord we have. Amen? Amen. But Tiger said he had some doubts. Even once Jesus is resurrected and about to ascend to heaven, the Bible says, some worshipped him, but some doubted. You see, what I want to talk about today 
is how the resurrection and the doubt that all of us have come together. So whether you're here this morning, if you would say, man, I, I don't believe in God. I don't know if there is a God. I am a spiritual person, but I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Or you're a believer. I want to try to answer one question for you this morning. Is the resurrection true? And if it is, what difference does it make tomorrow? Is the resurrection true? And if it is, what difference does it make tomorrow? Let's get into the word of God. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 27. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 20, uh, 29, actually. John 20, 19 through 29. says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had, had, when, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again gathered, and Thomas was with him. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve or do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed me or have you believed me because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me yet believe. I want to talk about three things this morning. Number one, who is this Thomas? Or who was Thomas? Number two, experiencing the resurrection. And number three, what difference does it make? Let's pray and we're going to jump into God's word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us some truth you want us to know. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for, for those in, in various spaces, for those that may not know you, for those that are in progress of knowing you, for those that have, have, are, are in backpedaling from knowing you, for us that would would, would, would say we, we know you and follow you. Father, I pray in every case that you would speak to us, that you would get up and down the corridors of our hearts and minds, that you would reveal truth to us that we will know that you've spoken to us. So, Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Throw your weight around. Show the devils who's boss. 
make claim on your property today in the name of Jesus. And somebody said amen. So if you've grown up, um, you've probably heard of this character named Thomas, this apostle, this follower of Jesus named Thomas. And, and you may think this morning or may, may have heard his name described a certain way called Doubting Thomas. This man is called Doubting Thomas really based on this passage that we just read. What is doubt anyway? Doubt in the Greek language means to waver or to hesitate or to be uncertain. Doubt. Doubt is not a rejection of belief, but holding a belief with hesitation and uncertainty. I want to say emphatically from the jump, Jesus is not afraid of your doubts. Yeah. Jesus is not afraid of your doubts. This church is not afraid of your doubts. This church is not afraid of your questions because questions reveal to us your thinking. Christianity is not some blind faith that you just follow something you don't even, can't even put into categories. Christianity is not a faith where you check your brain in at the door. No, in the Christian faith, your brain and your thinking is welcome. We are not advocating this morning for a blind faith. He doesn't tell you everything, but he tells you enough. And so if you are struggling with doubt, and many of us in many of our journeys of faith from time to time will have bouts with doubt, if that's you, understand that God is not afraid of your doubts or your questions. So then who is Thomas? He's one of the 12 disciples. He's not some bystander. He's somebody that was handpicked by Jesus to follow him. And Thomas leaves everything and follows Jesus. Understand this about the disciples. These men have forsaken businesses, homes, different things to follow Jesus. This is Thomas. He's given up everything to follow him. And he's a person known for asking good questions. Like in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about the way and Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth in the life. But aren't you and I glad that Thomas asked that question? See, you need some people in your life that aren't afraid to ask you some questions. That's Nahum in my life. Elder Nahum, well, at, yo, so Pastor Rod, I, yeah, I heard what you said, Pastor Rod, but, but what about this? Oh, that's good. If, I, if, if you're insecure, you're questioning that, but if you're a good leader, you're thankful for people that ask questions. Thomas asks questions. He's also an encourager. In John chapter 11, verse 16, Jesus is getting ready to go and, 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 and raise Lazarus, and then, and then Thomas is coming and he's encouraging the other disciples. He's saying, yo, let's go with Jesus, even if it costs our lives, let's go. I want to paint the picture for who Thomas is. He's no coward. 
He's a follower of Jesus. So then why would Thomas say what he said in verse 25? Unless I see and touch, I ain't never going to believe. What makes a man say that about Jesus? Thomas is devastated. You see, Thomas has left everything he had to follow Jesus. Thomas has, has stopped his life and followed Jesus, and now Jesus was dead. His life was crumbling apart. He spent three years following him, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is taken and arrested, arrested and crucified and died. Is that ever happened to you? You see, sometimes what causes us to doubt are the situations that happen in our lives. Sometimes life can hit us with something that makes us question everything we believed before. Sometimes life can hit us in a way that will cause us to doubt. Some of us, you, you, you grew up thinking a way about God and then something happened and whatever that something was, it caused all of these doubts to flood in your life. Situations can cause us to doubt when things don't make sense. And for Thomas, things were not making sense. And now Thomas is asking all of these questions. Doubt makes us ask questions. Here's one of the questions Thomas may have been wrestling with. Did Jesus really die? Maybe Thomas is thinking, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's, you know, maybe he never died. Maybe, maybe somebody got it wrong. But then as he kept processing, wait a minute, we saw him get arrested. He was punched. He was sped upon. His beard was plucked out. He was flawed with a cat of nine tails. His, his back was exposed. Jesus suffered and they put him on the cross and I know about that cross because folk don't get up after that cross this is a painful way to die and he was buried and just in case somebody would steal him Roman soldiers were made to stand outside the tomb and keep watch and a big stone was rolled over his grave you 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 see Thomas has to wrestle with did he die oh no he he died and if he died then what about the kingdom he talked about? Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He said he was the king, and now the king is dead. What does this mean for the people in his kingdom? How can you have a kingdom with no king? You see, these are the questions we ask when life hits us with something. I'm coming to your neighborhood in just a minute. You see, where's the impending kingdom? When life happens, sometimes we can be driven to ask theological questions. Theology just means the study of God. We can be made to ask questions. Where is God in this? But sometimes uh, situations don't just make us ask theological questions. They make us ask practical questions. Stuff like, what folk going to think? I've been following Jesus for three and a half years. All my friends asked me, uh, Thomas, what are you doing? Man, I'm rolling with Jesus. Are you kidding me? He handpicked me. I'm with Jesus. Family thought, Thomas, we didn't see you at the reunion. Yeah, I know. I was with the Christ. Now, the Christ died. 
What do I tell people? Who am I in light of his death? You see, I, in three years, who I thought I was was always related to who he said he was. Now, if he's not there, then who am I? Sometimes this happens in relationships and in marriage, and, and who you are is based on the other person, and then if something happened, you have to spend time identifying again who you are. That's why in every relationship, don't base who you are on someone else. Base who you are on Jesus. So when the wind blows and the waves come, you can still know who you are in Christ. Thomas has to be thinking, who am I? Thomas has to be thinking, what does the future hold for me? Thomas has to be thinking, how am I going to pay my bills? You see, he's been rocking with Jesus. And when you're rocking with Jesus, you don't do grocery shopping. He just pray and fish and loaves show up. You're rocking with Jesus, Everything is provided for. Now Jesus is gone. Real practical. How am I going to pay my bills? And then lastly, what hope do I have if Jesus is gone? Even if I find another job and I move to another part of the country and things are going well for me, if Jesus is dead, we are men most miserable, Paul says. What hope does Thomas have? You see, this is why Thomas retreats. Thomas withdraws. You see, everybody deals with grief in situations differently. Some people want to be surrounded when they're in grief. They want people to come to them when they're in grief and call them when they're in grief. Other folk, man, leave me alone. Don't call me, don't text me, don't write me. I'm an inner processor. Let me think this out. Thomas is alone. Jesus shows up to the other disciples, but Thomas is not there. He's processing. The challenge with processing alone is when we isolate ourselves, we miss stuff. Can I just do a pastor punch right here and then move away from it? When you miss church, you miss stuff. What did Thomas miss in his meeting? I'll tell you what Thomas missed in his meeting. At least five things. At least five things. Number one, he missed Jesus showing up. We can stop right there and go home. Jesus showed up at the meeting and Thomas wasn't there. We can really stop right there. Jesus showed up. Oh, I wish I had somebody that loved him. Jesus showed up at the meeting and Thomas was not there. You see, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. You want to be where Jesus is. Because Thomas was injured. He isolated himself. And I get it, but when you isolate, you miss stuff. What did he miss? He missed Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, showing up. What else did he miss? He missed the peace that Jesus brings. Jesus walks in this room, the doors are locked, the disciples are afraid, and Jesus just shows up. Now, some of you will say, okay, how did he get in the room if the door was locked? And, and you got to read 1 Corinthians 15 for your homework. But here's the deal. Because he's in his resurrected body, he could just walk through walls. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, if we that believe in him, we're going to get a new body too. I don't know about you. I think I'm going to like that body a little bit better than mine. But I'm excited about it in Jesus' name. Jesus has this resurrected body, walks through walls, just shows up. 
The disciples think he's a ghost. He says, peace be to you or peace unto you. I'm not a ghost. In another passage, he says, make me some food and I'll eat it, which means in a resurrected body we can eat. Praise God. He says, peace, I'm I'm giving you peace because they were afraid. They were afraid for their lives. When Jesus showed up, he said, peace, I'm bringing peace because I'm the prince of peace. Some of you are in situations and challenges and circumstances. You ain't going to get no peace in no bottle. You ain't going to get no peace at no club. You ain't going to get no peace nowhere else but from the prince of peace because he brings peace. He shows up and he says, peace be to you. In other words, fears dissipate. Because I showed up, and I'm bringing peace. I know you saw me punished and beaten. I know you saw them take me. I know you heard because you weren't there. I know you heard they hung me on the cross. They pierced my side, and they wrapped me up, and they rolled the stone. But see me now. Don't be afraid. It's me. You want to test it? Not only did it show his presence, not only did it show his peace, he showed his proof. Check the proof. Look at my hands. Look at my side. It's, it's, I'm, I'm not somebody that looks like Jesus. I'm Jesus. That's important. Because sometimes we'll run to some other deity, some other spirituality, some other cult to say, oh, well, that's spiritual, but that ain't Jesus. Check the proof. If it ain't got the nails, if, if it's not torn in the side, it ain't him. If they didn't hang on no rugged cross, it ain't him. I don't care what other religion comes your way. If they don't have the proof, it's not him. In your own spiritual journey, who else died for you? He showed the proof. Not only did he show the proof, he showed the plan. What is the plan? As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. He didn't just come to save. He come to send It's not just, oh, yes, you and your cute family be saved. Man, you and your cute family get on mission. He comes to send, and then not only did he comes with a plan and proof and peace and presence, he comes with power. He breathes on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit, because what he's sending these disciples, apostles to do, they're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. It's good for me to hear even this morning. I don't stand in my own strength or mind or intellect. I stand in the power of the Holy Spirit for him to do what he wills. Lastly, he gives them the gospel. He gives them the message of forgiveness and grace. He says to them that if you forgive, they'll be forgiven. He's given them the good news. Well, because you're at Gospel Fellowship, I might as well talk about what the gospel is. You see, the gospel is good news. God's made us in his image and his likeness. We didn't make ourselves. You didn't evolve. He made you. You were created, and you were created for a purpose. But then sin came in from our forefathers, Adam and Eve. And when sin came in, it devastated everything. And sin separates us from God. So regardless of how hard you try to keep up this quote-unquote moral code, your goodness just ain't good enough. And you're going to stand before him one day, the holiness of God, who in him there is no sin or vile. It is, it is God in his perfect holiness. And when you stand before him, are you going to say, I help my neighbor? Oh, God forbid. I went to church on Easter. Oh, God forbid. 
your good works ain't good enough. If you came every Sunday, it's not good enough. If you gave all your money, it ain't good enough. If you gave your body to be burnt, it ain't good enough. Why? You were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. You need something other than you to get this job done. You need Jesus. Jesus comes, lives the life we could not live, dies the death we should have died on that rugged cross for those that repent and believe. For those. See, the gospel story is beautiful and the cross is beautiful and the cross is everywhere and you wear crosses around your neck and praise God for the cross. But the cross is for those Hear me, the cross is for those that repent and believe. What is that? What are you saying, Rodney? The cross ain't for everybody. The cross is not for you because you're breathing. It is a picture of his great love. It is a picture of his great love for those that repent and believe. For those that repent and believe, the cross is blessing. For those that reject it, the cross is an offense. This is why Jesus came, and then he sends us on mission. He asks us to join him in the renewal of all things. We are processing redemption together with Jesus, and it's, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You see, And God gives that mission to the apostles for them to take this message to all the nations of the world. But remember, y'all, Thomas missed the meeting. Because when you isolate yourself, you miss stuff. So what does Thomas say? Because he isolated himself, all the disciples, they listen, they process and they get him, and Jesus got up. Thomas like, hmm. Nah, man, for real, he got up. Okay, he got up. Hmm. Thomas say, man, if I don't touch and see, if I don't put my hand, not I'm having trouble believing. See, this is really more of a picture of unbelief. Thomas say, I ain't going to believe. And that's some of us this morning. Some of us are saying, as we consider the claims of Christianity, here's what some of us are saying. If I don't see Jesus, I ain't going to believe. I'll come check out church, but listen, all, y'all, just, y'all just putting your faith in Jesus. Y'all just, y'all just saying, it's Jesus in you, huh? You, you seen him? Jesus is my co-pilot. I don't see nobody in your car. Who are you talking about? But not just people that do not believe. For believers in this room, there's stuff right now. You're saying in your life, God, if you don't do this, don't ask me for nothing. God, if you don't do this for me, I'm not going to follow you down that road. God, if you don't heal my loved one, don't ask me to sacrifice. And some of us are living right there. In the church, praising God, reading his word but because he hit something in you that you weren't ready to give over yet, you call your lack of surrender these doubts and these issues and these struggles. You have to be careful when we use that word struggle. I think sometimes we use that word too much. I'm just really struggling with some things. You're just really unrepentant about some things. If Some of y'all say, all right, listen, God, I'm serving you, but I got you on the clock. If you don't give me a spouse. Now, some of y'all think this, but she won't say it. 
if you don't give me a new spouse, But it don't work like that. You see, Jesus is not Chipotle. You don't get to put in your order on your cell phone and then just pick it up on the little rack, the new rack they got in Chipotle. You can't just do that. He's not taking orders. He's not your waiter. You see, it don't work like that. He's not your butler. He's your king. He doesn't take your orders, you take his. And the fact that you can think that way is indicative of where you think you sit. You think you sit on this seat where you get to choose what deity you're going to follow. But whoa, one day, the Bible says every knee shall bow, yours too. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not taking orders. He's not taking sides. He's taking over. So because he's king, he does, okay, well, well, tell me, what do you want to do? No, he tells us what to do. And because we understand what he gave to us, we joyfully surrender to him. He's given us enough to believe. He's given us his scriptures. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the body of Christ. So it is for us to come to a place of faith in surrender. This is important. Some of us still think we're choosing. And maybe it's because you're not understanding how sinful you are. Come here for a minute. Come here. Come here. You know how sinful you are. You know you can't fix you. You know you'll start out with the best of intentions and fall time and time again. You know you can't keep his moral and perfect law. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. You need somebody on your behalf to do for you what you can't do for you. Point two, Saratni, how did Thomas experience the resurrection? Look at a couple of things that Jesus gives him to help him experience the resurrection. Number one, Jesus gives him time. Somebody say time. The Bible says eight days. Jesus gave him eight days before he showed up to him again. Now that's powerful. Don't miss it. He gives Thomas time. Thomas say, unless I see him, I'm not going to believe. Jesus says, I'll give him eight days. Thomas isolated himself initially, but then he makes himself back into community. And he spends time around the other disciples. If you're struggling with doubt, and many of us are in many areas of our life, can I encourage you, spend time with people that believe. See, I believe even before Jesus showed up to Thomas, the Spirit has already been working in Thomas' heart, bringing about belief in what he said he had never believed. He's around the people of God. He gives him time. Now, don't miss this. This is not unlimited time. You see, one day, your time will run out. Can I love you enough to tell you that? Tomorrow ain't promised to you. 
I'm not trying to tell, uh, scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. It's not promised. We just got word this week, a 31-year-old woman, mother of three, single mother, laid down, didn't get up. It ain't promised to you. He's giving you time. And listen, let's be honest. Hasn't he given you time? This ain't your first message you hear in the gospel. Maybe it is, praise God, if it is. But for many of us, it's not. Hasn't he given you time? But now, the Bible says, the day you hear my voice, don't you harden your heart? It's good. He gives us time. And here's why. Because this transformation that we need is going to take some time. This is not an Instagram post. This ain't no three-minute video. This is going to take time. And God has given us time. Now respond. The next thing he does is he comes personally to Thomas. Now, this is absolutely phenomenal and amazing. Jesus shows up again for Thomas. He could have said, I came, you weren't there, too bad, I'm out. You should have been there. That's not what he says. He comes again. I'm so glad he comes again. Uh, maybe just in my life, but he comes again and again and again. I'm so glad that he comes again. And this time when he comes, you tell he's on a mission because he, he again walks through, walks through walls and doors when they're locked. And then he tells the disciples, peace be unto you. But then he goes straight to Thomas. It's like he came for Thomas. What if it's this morning that Jesus has come today for you? What if he's speaking to your heart one-on-one? -on -one? You see, it's not just some light-skinned preacher up here talking. <laughs> I believe that when I speak, the Holy Spirit takes my words and then contextualizes it to your heart. Right now, he's running up the corridors of your mind and heart. Stuff is coming back to your, your mind that you weren't thinking about before, but he's painting a picture in your mind calling you to repent and respond. <coughs> Excuse me. He's come personally to Thomas. And he gives Thomas exactly what he needs. He says, Thomas, I listen, I know what your struggle is. I know, I know. Come here. Come on. Come on. See? You wanted to see too. You see, the disciples saw. But the other disciples, if they did, it's not written, didn't touch. They just saw. Jesus says to Thomas, come see. Don't just see. Put your finger there. Touch my hand. You see, God knows exactly what you need to believe. So the church is not to do a program to convince you into believing. He has already come to you and is painting a picture for you to repent and believe. And he's given it to you just the way you need it. Well, how do I know he's giving it to me just the way I need it? Because he knows you better than you. Just put your hand, touch. Can you imagine the hole in my hand? Touch my side. Put your hand there. Stop doubting and believe. Now, every time I read that, here's what I'm thinking. Yo, Jesus, I'm preaching. Can you come to GF on Sunday? Would you walk the aisles and let folk put their hand in your hand? 
Would you show them your side? And some of the eager people will do a call for prayer. If you want to touch Jesus, come on up. And you can just touch his side. And I can just sit here and be like, told y'all. Told y'all. Can I be honest? Sometimes I want to touch it. The preacher. Sometimes I want to see Jesus. But here's what he says in John 14, 16. He says, it's better for me to go. Because if I can go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would do, 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 what would do for you what you need to believe. And, and, and on the outside, that's hard. You're like, no, all right, Holy Spirit, cool. Okay, praise God for the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, it'd be better if you were here. But if Jesus was here, he'll be here, and then he has to go to, to Calvary Chapel, then he got to go to Christ Fellowship, then he got to go to Avenue. He got places to go. He got people to see. He got things to do. He got to keep going. The Holy Spirit can take this message and at one time speak to billions of people across the landscape of earth because he's the spirit of almighty God. You see, the spirit, is bad. the spirit is what you need to believe. No man can come to the Father except the spirit draws him. He gives you the spirit of God. Lastly, or I said this already, he allows Thomas to touch him. He gives Thomas the proof that he needs. Some of you will still say, okay, Rodney, okay, how do I touch Jesus if, it's he, if he's not here? Good question. Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we have not a high priest, talking about Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity or our weaknesses, but was in all point tempted just like we were yet without sin. What is he saying? We have a high priest in Jesus, our great high priest, who can be touched with the stuff that we're going through. Let me say it again. We have a great high priest in Jesus right now sitting on the right hand of the Father that can be touched by the stuff we're going through. But Rodney, how does this happen? Keep reading. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. How do I touch Jesus? You touch him through surrendered prayer. I touch him when I go down before him in prayer and I surrender where I am and what's happening. And in my prayer, I'm, I'm able to touch Jesus, not physically, but because we are connected, we have a high priest that gets where we are because he's been through it. Are you lonely? He gets it. Abandoned? He understands. Homeless? Been there, done that. Family issues? He can preach about it. Abandoned by his father? He could teach you some things. We have a high priest that can, that, that can get where we are. And we got to do that through prayer. Now, I know that ain't cute for Easter. I know that ain't spin around and touch your neighbor, but boy, it's good in real life and real time. When you're going through, you'll go through. You go through it in surrendered prayer. Lord, have your way. I bring all of my doubts. I surrender all of my fears to King Jesus. 
So back to my original question, what difference does the resurrection make? Look at what Thomas says after that. My Lord, my God. Beloved, that statement changes everything. If you're here this morning and something I said or, or preferably something you'll read to convince you, okay, this historical Jesus was true. He actually lived. If you put the Bible on the shelf, you can still prove through historians that the actual Jesus lived and the actual Jesus died. And if you look at history, you can see in, in Scripture and in other places, this actual Jesus got up from the grave. If you are convinced of that, that changes everything. Because if Jesus got up from the grave and he is Lord, which means master, he is God, which means the sovereign one, then there is nothing he can't ask you for. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. C.S. Lewis says this, either this man was or is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can't shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and, and, and kill him as a demon or can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a good human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. What is C.S. Lewis getting at? Either he's God or he's nothing. And if you believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and got up and was alive and showed himself to over 500 people at one time and read 1 Corinthians 15 and it tells you if you believe that, then that changes everything because nobody else in the world has done that. Nobody claimed to be God and said he would die and then said he would get up and do it just like he said. Nobody else's life was prophesied some 500 years later. Beyond that, from the start of Scripture, it's been his plan all along that Jesus would die. And if the resurrection is true, and if his life and what he said was true, then you got two options. Call him crazy or call him Lord. But there is no in-between. Either you'll surrender fully and follow him, because if he is who he said he is, there's nothing he can't ask you. What can he ask you to do that you'll say, oh, that's, that's good, but I ain't doing that. To the Lord? To the sovereign one? You see, either we believe it or we don't. And how do we do those things that he's calling us to do? By God's grace. By his spirit. But it's from a heart that says, truly, you are the son of God. That's what Thomas says. My Lord, my God. Thomas, you believe because you saw. But blessed are those. That's the Beatitudes, y'all. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet believe. Everyone stand. What happens to this Thomas? What does the resurrection do to Thomas? Good question. Historians tell us that Thomas was with Peter when he preached 
in Acts chapter 2, followed with the disciples and apostles. And as persecution bled in the church, Thomas became an evangelist all the way to northern India. And if you look at the Christian faith in India, you cannot find a time where the Christian faith was prevalent apart from Thomas. You see, God used Thomas, a doubter, a person that said, I'll never believe, to bring the gospel to a country. And now 2,000 years later, this morning, hands are raised in India. Tongues are confessing in India that Jesus Christ is Lord. If he did that with Thomas, what would he do with you? How does Thomas' story end? He's captured for preaching the gospel. Historians tell us they captured him, they take a spear, and they stabbed him continually to death. Nobody dies like that for something they don't believe. Beloved, there's more than enough evidence. There's more than enough testimonies. What hinders you this morning? Prayer team, would you come? All week, before all week, we've been praying. Lord, here's what we want. Do something in your people this morning. Do work that we can't do. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what your struggle is. But we want to pray. Prayer is the most, one of the most powerful things we can do. It is our lifeline to the Father. And we can pray boldly because of Jesus. What he took for us on that cross. So this morning, we want to offer the opportunity to help walk with you on this journey to Jesus. There's no power in the people that stand up here. They're no better than you are. They're just convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they just want to explain further to you what that would mean to follow Jesus in a loving relationship. If that's you, come.